0: It's the Better Than Average Podcast, episode 6. Going to talk uh, quarterback number 1, Mock Week into Game Week, and then thoughts about expectations. That's on this episode of the Better Than Average Podcast, presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Land Bank. Better Than Average. You play football. Play football juggernaut of a podcast. Better than average. It's like a radio show that's not on the radio.
1: Coach, it's a great day for you,
0: huh? Yeah, it's better than average, I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, welcome in. This is episode six of the Better Than Average podcast presented by Mississippi Land Bank. For anything land related in North Mississippi, that's where you want to go. Uh, the kind of people that, you know, you want to do business with. You'll be glad you went there first, trust me. So buying or selling land, it could be Building a dream home up to big farmland to anything in between, recreational, anything land related in North Mississippi, go there. That's Mississippi Land Bank. This was mock week, and what that means is he just kind of went through from meeting times to film sessions to practice times and practice routines. He treated this whole week like a game week uh, to go ahead and have one of those weeks and have that routine sort of under your belt before the actual game week arrives, which is next week. And most teams around the country do that. Different coaches have different, you know, ways of implementing that system and, and different philosophies on it. But I like it. Uh, you know, looking back on it as a player, the, the routine is very important. I always felt like for Coach Cheryl, playing for him – He had a lot of great things he did as a coach, but one of the best was providing this constant, steady routine that he managed. He was the overseer of that whole thing. He designed the schedule, he set up the routine, and then made sure everybody stuck to it so that it just became so uniform that times didn't change, meetings didn't change, practices didn't change, and you become so accustomed to it that it's just those are factors that you don't even have to think about as a player. It just becomes habitual to show up at the right time and to go through the routine so that all you can focus on is getting better and getting used to the games. The structure was always important, and he was always really good at it. I always felt like it was a part of the reason that he managed the program so well, the years that I was able to play for him. and So it is important, and they're doing it now, and Coach Leach has been around forever and uh, certainly, I'm sure, understands the importance of it, uh, getting in that routine. So that's what this week was about. Uh, to level with you, I didn't go to practice this week. I think there were only two really sure enough practices, Tuesday and Wednesday, and um, uh, I wasn't able to go to either one, other work responsibilities and different things, uh, and so probably will be back out at practice next week during game week, um, and this weekend, I'm not going to go check it out or anything this weekend, they're going to kind of go through you know, game routine and stuff on Saturday. Not going to be a full scrimmage or anything like that. And I'm going to go check out some high school football for the Hometown Heroes video series presented by Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance. Last year was a big success. And so we'll have year two starting this weekend. So just to level with you, I'll be back out at practice next week and and talk about that with you on Episode 7 and then Episode 8. And also just a a quick note here on the podcast – For those of you who are downloading and listening, thank you, first of all. The numbers, it's uh, been exciting to see it jump off and see y'all latch on to this show. So it's a Monday, Thursday schedule. Starting Monday, this coming Monday, it'll be the first game week press conference for Mike Leach, and he'll have his press conferences on Mondays, and so instead of releasing Better Than Average on Monday mornings, it'll be a Monday night publish so that we can see what comes out of the press conferences. And so for that reason, I think I went ahead and started that this week. It'll be Monday nights and Thursday nights instead of Monday mornings and Thursday mornings. So I'd you know, put that in there for you. Okay, uh, yesterday there was a media opportunity with Mike Leach. Uh, there was a quick question there at the beginning about, you know, who's a quarterback? Have you made a decision? When are you going to make a decision? I don't know how the question was worded. But his answer was, if we had to play today, it'd be Will Rogers – I think there was a follow up about why, and he said he's just more consistent right now. And so you expect that. I expect that. That's not a surprise for anyone. <clears throat> that indeed it is Will Rogers who's QB1 for Mississippi State. No surprise there. Uh, with that said, instead of waiting to the end, let's uh, hear what Mike Leach said. This is about maybe three minutes of comments from Mike Leach after the Wednesday practice on the 25th in which he said, if you had to play now, Will Rogers would be the quarterback. Let me let you hear that interview.
2: Uh, I think we're a work in progress. I thought that we had some good work today. I thought we squandered uh, too many plays on both sides, uh, you know, because guys gave into the fatigue. But, uh, you know, that's why this is mock week so that – so that, uh, you know, we work through problems like this. I guess i not starting quarterback at this point yet. If we were to play today, it would be Will.
0: What's maybe he done to separate himself from the other quarterbacks?
2: Uh, Consistency, I'd say, would be the biggest thing, because I think as far as just throwing the ball, they all do a pretty good job of that. And then they have various other physical attributes. But, uh, you know, he's a very committed guy as far as watching film and you know, is thrown with these guys more than anybody else. Although it really hasn't been as much as you know, once you get a really established situation. Um, but uh, you know, he, he provides more consistency. Is there still time, like in the next week and a half, for that change, or is Will pretty much locked in? Uh it's hard to tell. Difficult to say. You know, we'll see. But you obviously, uh, you know, looking at the scrimmage, it seemed like the offensive line, at least the starting five, and. A couple of rotation guys are kind of set going into the season. What have you seen from that group and any guys in particular caught your attention? Uh, I think they're better. I think they're definitely better. I think they're playing together better. I think that um, you know I think collectively they have a higher sense of urgency. You know they're still a very young offensive line but I think they're drawing some are drawing on the experience they got last year and then we've got uh, some pretty good uh, reinforcements and then um, You know, we're not great there, but we're a work in progress, but we're getting better. And um, uh, so I do think they've made steady progress. Uh, I think we have probably uh, seven we could play with right now. Charles Cross
1: was named second team All-SEC yesterday. What do you think about the potential that he can have on this team and in this offense?
2: Uh, Well, he's uh, he's already kind of a quiet leader by example. You know, I mean, you can run stuff back and use Charles as an example of how to get things done. Uh, Charles, at, at a young age, is as far along as any offensive lineup I've, I mean, I've dealt with. He's got a lot of work to do. I mean, I can't say that he exactly plays like a senior, but he plays better than anybody his age, you know.
1: Talking about
2: mock game week, what did that kind of entail this week that maybe was different from weeks past? And, and are you guys planning another scrimmage this Saturday? Uh, we'll have a situational scrimmage, uh, mock uh, game week, uh, the big, biggest thing is practices are shortened so that they're, you know, the in-season format. When you look at Will, is there anything that you'd like him to work on the next week and a half for yeah. Nearly everything, um, nearly everything, uh, you know, the biggest thing is just keep polishing up, getting his eyes in the right place, uh, get the ball out as soon as he possibly can and you know, good pocket presence, and uh, he does a pretty good job with the huddle. But you know, all those things. I don't have the good. The good news is there's not one glaring thing. But you know, everybody can sharpen up on all the little things.
0: I wanted to point out something to you regarding Will Rogers, and this is from a video I put together back in January. Well, I'll say it's from. It's just numbers. It's stats. I did a video on these numbers back in January, but I thought now might be a good time to bring it back up because we're going to talk about some expectations uh, later in the the podcast here. Will was a, a, a huge part of your past game and started the majority of your games last year. We know that. Now, in terms of overall team numbers throwing the ball last year in year one under Mike Leach, the first game weighed very heavily, right? 600 yards in that first one. So, you know, however that balances out. Here's why I'm bringing this up. If you compare year one passing offense numbers, year one under Mike Leach, so the first season that he was at Texas Tech compared to the first season he was at Washington State compared to his first season at Mississippi State. What is really uh, interesting to me is that the numbers are really, really similar in all three stops for him as a head coach. And you're talking about a period of time that spans two decades, 20 years, okay? His first year, Mike Leach's first year at Texas Tech was in 2000. Then his first year at Washington State was in 2012, you know, about a decade later. And then another decade after that, his first year at state, last year in 2020. So it's a long period of time, three different schools, same offense, same coach, but year one in that offense under that coach, very similar at all three places. Let me tell you what I mean. Now, for those that are watching the video of this, it's the first one that I've filmed of these podcasts, just put it on YouTube. So people told me they wanted it on YouTube that it's just a guy sitting here talking, so here you go. But you'll be able to see this. I'll try to remember to put it on the screen for you. For those listening, sometimes numbers can really get you know, jumbled up when you're listening to numbers, but I'll do my best here. This should be pretty clear. Year one at Texas Tech under Mike Leach. 296 yards per game passing. That was the average for the whole season. 296 yards per game his first year at Texas Tech. His first year at Washington State, 330 yards per game passing. And remember, I told you 296 per game at Texas Tech in his first year. Last year at Mississippi State, exactly 296 passing yards per game uh, in year one the exact same passing yards per game last year at State as his first year at Texas Tech in between was Washington State back in 2012 and that first year there they went for 330 a game but when you look a little deeper there's a couple things that may actually explain that Washington State when he took over was a team that actually threw the ball pretty doggone well before he got there uh, they had a receiver that had caught you know, a bunch of passes for a lot of yards the year before Mike Leach got there. They could throw it around a little bit. But the Texas Tech and Mississippi State situation is pretty similar. When he took over Tech, they had been running the ball before. Um, they hadn't been throwing it around. And he goes in, and he's going to go wholesale change, and they throw it for 296. They played 12 games in 2000 at Texas Tech and threw it for 296 a game. Last year, what did he do? You do? He took over a team that for a decade had been a team that ran the ball and didn't throw it. Very similar to Tech. Took over in exactly the same, 296 passing yards a game. In one fewer game, played 11 games, including the bowl game. So I thought I'd point that out, how everything that Mike Leach saw last year, he's seen it before in the early install of his offense. He's seen it exactly the same before with last year being one or two major differences in that it was a COVID year. You didn't have spring and summer leading up to it, and it's the first time he's ever played a true freshman quarterback. That's some context to me that is meaningful. Now, this SEC is different than those other leagues he coached in, yes, but I think as time goes on, this stuff's going to balance out. Okay, so To me, I just thought those were pretty interesting. All right, let's take a look now on the defensive side of the ball. Let's look at a couple things on defense. All right, first up, I did a film study on Tyrus Wheat. If you haven't, checked that out. It's on the YouTube channel. Um, I haven't posted it yet to Facebook, but I will do it. If you haven't gone and liked the Facebook page, check that out. It's just Facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt. There are five or six plays from, from Tyrus Wheat last year that I looked at. No great schematic stuff. It's just kind of showing you what he's capable of because he's a very physical player. And I actually, in the film study, didn't give him credit for his size. I I said he's 6'2", 240. He's actually 6'2", about 260. But he's a very physical outside linebacker. He caused some turnovers last year. I think he led you in forced fumbles. He led the team in sacks with five last year. And he was third on last year's team in tackles for loss. Errol Thompson graduating means that he's the second returning player in terms of tackles for loss, but he's a leading sack man coming back this year. So I said I'd take a look. I think he's really important for your defense to have players like that because, in my opinion, if you win the physical battle, if you're more physical than your opponent, your chances of winning the game go way up. And so you need players like him. And I think, you know, last year was his first year out of JUCO. And a lot of times over the years, you've seen great players who go on to become great players. That it takes them, you know, five or six games in that first year in D1 to kind of get going. To to start to feel themselves again and get used to all of it. And so in his first year out of JUCO, he had some success. And he just needs to do it more. And I think he will do more of those things this year. So I think he's a very underrated player. Uh, So check out that film study. Now, uh, Zach Arnett, he answered some questions yesterday after practice. There was one quote in there that I really liked about the depth chart, first and second stringers and why you're second string and those kinds of things. I shared that on Twitter. A lot of y'all saw that but here's uh two or three minutes of the q a with zach Arnett after yesterday's practice
1: oh, I think we have a pretty good idea who the who, you know who the top 22 are right now uh you know probably last week for guys to show something here and uh, with the mock game coming up this weekend so uh, now we're never time for guys but we feel pretty good you know about about we got a general idea who the top who the top two deep are
2: i know it can be a week by week process but what things about this defense helps you sleep better at night, or and what things keep you up at night about this defense?
1: Oh, I think for the most part, we got guys who like playing football, so they, you know, they play hard and run around. And typically, if you have those characteristics, you got a, you got a shot at least, right? If you're to play hard and be physical, um, we still, you know, if, judging by today's scout team period, we still make a lot of assignment errors. So uh, the execution of the scheme sure needs to get a lot better between now and, and uh, game day, but. You know, I think they like playing and they'll run around, and so hopefully they're willing to hit somebody. We'll see when we uh, actually play live, live tackle football. You've stressed a
2: lot since you've been here about guys learning different positions so they can be interchangeable in case somebody goes down in the game. And it seems like you got a few guys like that, especially in the front six, that are interchangeable, can play different spots. How valuable is that on your defense? Yeah,
1: I hope it is. I don't know, man, now I'm starting to think maybe we've we've done so much dual training, we don't do anything well, you know? Jack of all trades, master of none, so. We'll see.
0: Last year you guys struggled with depth the safety <laughs> position, but this year it seems like you got a pretty solid two deep. Doesn't seem to be a big drop off from our vantage point from the ones to the twos. Kind of what are you seeing from that second group and how comfortable are you putting them in a ball game?
1: Well, you're gonna have to play more than one deep, obviously, right? I, I would. My message to every guy on the twos, whether it be D-line linebackers, safeties or corners, is there's a reason you're a two, because there is a drop off. So, uh, now we need that drop, up, drop off to be as minimal as possible, but I mean, we don't we don't sugarcoat it around here, right? If you're the best player, you start, and there's a reason you're too. So if you don't like your spot on depth chart, do something about it.
2: Imagine that execution, kind of getting that execution up. Is that something that you got to like almost learn in the fire of a game, or can you do it on the practice field?
1: I sure hope we can get it done on the practice field. It's not it's not good to get you know teachable moments <laughs> uh, on Saturdays, so
2: did you be watching the film from the scrimmage on Saturday? What were some takeaways you had?
1: We did some good things, you know. I mean, couple couple nice stands down on the red zone, or some third downs, but uh, you know, give up a lot of explosive plays because ten guys are playing one defense, and one guy's playing the wrong coverage, or blitzing the wrong gap. And so, it's funny how the ball has a way of finding you if you make a mistake. You mentioned uh, the drop off from ones to twos. A guy like Jordan Davis goes down. How much does that affect your preseason preparation, or is it just next guy up, get him in there, and let's go? Uh, we, uh, I don't talk about injuries. So Demonte Russell's a guy we've seen take some increased
0: reps here as of late, You know, he's a guy, too, There were high hopes for uh, as a recruit. What are you seeing from him, and, and do you think that he's a guy that's really going to be able to contribute, maybe as a two in the rotation?
1: I think we got plenty of guys getting a lot of reps, you know, increased reps. And so, uh, you know, DeMonte is one of those guys and, you know, like I said, my message to everyone is if you're not a starter, it means we think there's noticeable room for improvement and nothing will make us happier than you proving us wrong that we're, you know, we're incorrect about your spot on the depth chart. So uh, every guy who's a two or three, you know, I, you know prove us wrong. That's the best, the best thing for the program, right? Be the best at doing your job. Make yourself better every day. That's the best thing you can do to help the team get better.
0: And also thanks to Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance. Your local Farm Bureau Insurance agents all across the state of Mississippi support me and support this podcast. So give them a chance, would you? Um, Sure, they can bundle things and save some money, but it's just the kind of coverage with the kind of people that, you want to be connected to, and you want handling your insurance. So check them out at favrates.com and find an agent near you. Okay, I want to talk to you now about expectations. As you probably know, you're seeing something that you've seen a lot over the years for Mississippi State football, or I've seen it anyway, and that is sort of being underrated, an underrated nature uh, to – the way the outside folks and media look at Mississippi State football. I haven't done this. I haven't done the research. Some of y'all might want to do it. Go back and look during you know the nine years that Dan Mullen was the head coach. Look at those couple of years under Moorhead. I'd be curious to know, based on media predictions, both like the SEC media media days, their predictions for the season, uh, the coaches predictions and stuff and even the all sec stuff for individuals i would bet you that over the last 10-15 years when state's program has really grown and and begun to you know consistently win more games and go to bowl games i would bet you that um you've been pretty consistently underrated even in those times and to get a little more coffee coffee from high point roasters in new albany mississippi Check them out, highpointroasters.com. Order your coffee there if you're not already. Dan the Coffee Man will hook you up. This is the point. This year in 2021, they've got you picked last uh, or near the bottom of the Western Division. They picked, coaches picked almost none of your players on the All-SEC team. Now, I want to ask you a question. For a program that has put a bunch of, Players in the NFL, especially on defense, defensive linemen, linebackers, rush-ins over the last few years. Do you think that there are none on the team now, future NFL guys? Well, the answer is there are. Pretty much, there's a bunch of media out there. and Pretty much all of them agree that State has one of the better cornerback duos that you're going to find around the country. There are a lot of teams that have one great one. That's two really good ones, and they know that. They're both young, Emerson and Forbes. Well, you don't hear anybody talking about them but us. okay? I promise you they're better and going to be better than most people outside of Starfall and outside of this podcast and a few others know about. I think one of the greatest opportunities that a person can have in life and especially in sports, is the opportunity to be an overachiever. Now, don't roll your eyes. I'm not going over here like waxing poetic and trying to be motivational mad. I'm really not, okay? I'm just telling you the opportunity to overachieve is a big deal. I've always looked at it that way. I heard a stat yesterday, and um, I forget even where I heard it, but somebody said, you know, there's something, there's a stat out there, like 88%, I think it is, of the world's millionaires did not inherit anything. Now, when you get up there, close to 90%, not quite 90 but close to 90% of the millionaires in this world are self-starters. Are, are, they, they went out and did it. They didn't, they weren't handed a silver spoon. That says something to me. I don't care what line of work you are in, what area of life you are in, or what sport we're talking about. Nobody's going to hand you anything. And they can rank you highly in the preseason because of the name on the side of your helmet, all they want to. But when the ball is put down and the whistle is blown and it's time to start running plays, none of that matters. It's a reason. There's a reason that people like, I'll give you an example. David Cutcliffe at Duke said a couple of years ago that the idea of preseason polls is bogus, especially in an era where we have a a college football playoff poll that comes out four or five weeks into the season. We shouldn't even have preseason polls. And he's right. So I, I'm not saying that just because you know the outside media and the outside world has low expectations or no expectations for state this year, that they're wrong. we got to see if they're wrong. The team's got to go prove them wrong. But what I'm telling you is, if, if you're a state fan who you're waiting for the moment when people are just going to hand you anything at state, they're just going to hand you a pat on the back before you've accomplished anything, they're just going to, you know, they're going to give you as much coverage on the SEC network as they give Alabama and somebody else. Uh, they're just going to give it to you. If, if that's what you're waiting on, just keep waiting. It's not going to happen. And here's the thing. You should prefer it that way. That's a much better way to go through life. I'm telling you. And that is, please underestimate me. Please Underrate me. Write me off. Sure. Because as soon as you forget about me and turn your back, that's when I'm coming. I'm kicking the door down. It ain't a matter of if. It's a matter of when and how. And are you standing there on the other side of the door or not? You better get out of the way. That's the approach that works. The blue collar work for every ounce of gain, every inch of respect to earn it and work for it and not be given anything. That's the best way to go through life. That's the best way to go into a season. Not being overhyped, not being told how great you are. Those are opportunities to underachieve, that sucks. Nobody wants that and I don't want it. I wouldn't want it if I were a player on this team. The opportunity to overachieve that's what you wake up and your feet hit the floor every morning full speed can't wait that's what gets me going and i think that's what'll get this team going also i think it's a great position to be in those are my thoughts on expectations all right let's take a look at questions this will be the final thing for this podcast episode six Questions, I put out a feeler on Twitter and on Facebook. We'll start off on Twitter. I'll find the tweet and see what the questions are. Here we go. All right. First up from Tony. Hey, Tony. My buddy, Tony Finch, Northeast Mississippi Community College. He says, despite their youth, are Emerson and Forbes comparable at all to Smoot and Bean? Hmm. (laughs) What a great question. Wow. Despite their youth, are Emerson and Forbes comparable at all to Smoot and Bean? I would say they are comparable. Now, I'm not saying they're the same types of players, Tony. Maybe they will be. You you know, we look back at the totality of their careers, and not only as juniors and seniors— Robert Bean, Fred Smoot, were they both locked down corners? Were they both draft picks? Were they both NFL players? We know all of that now. With Martin Emerson and Forbes, I think it's predicted. It's potential. It's possible. But it hadn't happened yet. Okay, so that's a major difference, obviously. But when you look at, okay, a duo of guys who give you great confidence when they're on the field, yeah, uh, you know, so they're comparable in that way. Size-wise, they are comparable. It's kind of in the way they're built. They're both long, you know. In in fact, I don't know, I'm not talking about just height, but in terms of just length, arm length and everything, they might be a little longer even than Smoot was. Beam was a big, tall corner out there. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely compares, but they are younger, and therefore they've got to go do it. They haven't done it yet. They've got to go do it. And, you know, by the end of their careers, Smoot and Bean could cover anybody, one-on-one. And, it's, and corner is the hardest thing to do in football, hands down. Maybe the hardest thing to do in sports, but I think it's the most difficult position in all of football because as a corner, you line up across from a guy who runs a 4-3 or 4-4, and he knows where he's going and you don't. And you're expected to stay with him and break the play up. And And then, oh, by the way, if they run the ball at you, you got to go take on the block of a pulling guard and tackle a guy, a running back, who's coming downhill full of speed. It's the hardest position in all sports. Um, I didn't say most important, I said it's the hardest. Anyway, yeah, so comparable in that way, I still think both of them, Emerson and Ford, still are reps and growth away from getting to the point of they are as locked down as Smoot and Beam were. Thanks for the question. Miles said, does the team still do bull in the ring at practice? Yeah, if you want to call it that, um, they still do. They'll start practice. They all get together. as It's really, you know, it's not bull in the ring, but it's really just one-on-one contact leverage blocking drills. You know, so you put two guys against each other. Boom, let's see who can get the leverage and who can push who back. You know, so they still do that. Uh, it's a good start to practice. Peyton said, Do you think Will Rogers, if he starts every game this year, breaks the MSU single season passing record? And Peyton, I don't know. I uh I have not taken the time here as I record the podcast to look up to see what the single season passing record is. Um so I mean, you know, in this offense, is there opportunity for him to do that? Sure there is. Especially if you get into a bowl game, play 13 games, maybe more, you know, that sort of thing. With this offense, the possibility is there for sure, no doubt. Wes said, what are your predictions for Sawyer Robertson long-term? Long-term, my prediction is Sawyer Robertson eventually will be your starter, and he's very, very talented. Got some growing to do physically and everything else, but he'll be a starter at some point. He said, if Will solidifies himself as a starter for the next few years, does he transfer out? It seems almost inevitable that one of them leaves the program. Yeah, I mean, you load your roster with quarterbacks to compete for the position because they want to play in the offense, but not all of them can win it. Just the way it is. Wilson said, I'm a believer in Mike Leach. Do you think he can get it done in Starkville? Yeah, Wilson, I think he can. I think he can. And I know this. um, There's really nobody else that I believe we would have as much fun following as he tries to get it done in Star Wars, as Mike Leach and his team and his offense. Knock them out, John, on Twitter, says, Running game, does Will seem to be recognizing the times to check down an audible to a running play better than last year? Yeah, I would say so, John. And the thing about it is I'm not in their meetings. I'm not in their film sessions. So I don't know what Leach and, and the offensive staff are telling them You know, just observing it in practice, some, I think there's a little more of that going on. I'm pretty confident there's a little more of that going on, as naturally you'd think it would as you get older and more experienced and you know what you're doing a little more. Um, To go into any great specifics, I can't do it because, like I say, I'm not in their evaluations and hearing what the coaches are telling them. All right, dear old national champ. On Twitter said, do you think some of the reason why more state players aren't all SEC and why state is ranked so low in the preseason is because Leach and staff aren't out there hyping their players, et cetera, like other coaches do? And then he went on to say, it's not a criticism of Leach, but sports writers um, are really lazy and let coaches influence their opinions. Well, no, I, I actually will say I don't think it has anything to do with whether or not Coach Leach and the staff are pumping up players and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it has anything to do with that at all. I, I just think in general, what it is is you didn't win a bunch of games last year, and uh, there are other teams and other players getting hyped pretty much, you know, naturally. But this is a year-in, year-out thing. Um, at state, like I said earlier, you're just you're going to have to earn every inch that you gain every ounce of respect you got to earn it and then some you're just not going to be given it and again i prefer it that way and you should too okay and i got a question on facebook from uh, christopher and christopher says it would seem to me that based on what we've seen in fall camp the defense has actually improved more than the offense with all the depth, especially in the secondary, it seems like we should have a top 10 to 15 defense in the nation. Christopher said, I know I'm a bit optimistic, but it seems like if Will Rogers just simply takes care of the ball, the defense should keep us in a lot of games we won't be favored in. What are your thoughts? All right. So, um, hmm. The first premise is you said, you know, just based on reports, it seems like the defense has actually improved more than the offense. I would tell you that we won't, and I, this may go without saying, I'm, I'm not at all talking down in any way, Christopher. We won't know who has improved and who hasn't and which unit has improved and which hasn't until we actually watch the ball games. right? I mean, we're not going to know. But, uh, yeah, I would say that to my eye, it looks like, and based on the last scrimmage I saw, it looks like the defense you know, has had that upward trajectory maybe a little farther to this point than the offense has. And I think that may be kind of offense and defense by nature. you know, Offense, when you're going against a pressuring defense, an aggressive defense, where all the best athletes seem to be on the defensive side of the ball on this team, Okay, and you're playing them every day in practice, and after a while they figure you out What I'm saying is that after a while, offensively, you can only do so much growth against your own guys, and you really start to grow and get better when you start playing other people, and you have some advantages in game planning and scouting and all those kinds of things. So some of that may be natural, okay? The other thing is you have more veteran players on defense at key positions than you do on offense, okay? So... You know, both have improved, but yeah, defense is a little deeper. I think your best athletes, best players are on the defensive side of the ball, and I like it that way. I would coach it that way if I were coaching. Um, And offensively, that's where you have the most crucial youth. We forget that um, you got a true sophomore with no red shirt under him as your starting quarterback. Your two running backs are true sophomores with no red shirt under them. Your top returning receiver is a true sophomore in Wally with no red shirt under All these different things. So the room for growth is even greater on offense, I think. So, yeah, you know. And then you say, okay, you're optimistic, but it seems like if Will Rogers just takes care of the ball. Uh, look, <clears throat> part of playing quarterback in this offense, a huge part of it is taking care of the ball. And last year you found out why how crucial it is, and you start turning it over. I don't know that it's all that different in any other offense either, but um, there will be turnovers. Know this. There will be turnovers. There will be interceptions. Any offense that is asking its quarterback to throw... We're asking you, throw four or five touchdowns for us in a ballgame. That's what we need you to do. Well... He's going to throw some picks and you got to put up with it. That's part of the game. But if he takes care of the ball, um, that'll be kind of a starting point, getting the offense going. I mean, some things are going to happen. That's just the name of the game. Yeah, I, I feel like this team is uh they're going to be better than people realize. And whether or not it really shows up, a lot of it is dependent on quarterbacks. And so I think for Will Rogers, the biggest thing is for him to understand, you know, it's not his, it's not his job to, to go out and throw a touchdown on every play. It's not his job to go out here and be a star. He's got to take the approach that it is his job to get the football to his teammates. That's all he's supposed to do. Get it to them and get out of the way. Get the ball to Marks. Make quick decisions, you know. As you watch last year games that he played in, you watch him even in practice. One of the biggest things that he can improve on is the how fast he processes the play correctly. That happens with experience. You can't speed up experience. So with repetition, you get better at it and better at it. And and how often he processes the play quickly and. The ball comes out quickly it's accurately and there's an extra one yard because of how fast he processed the play you know woody marks catches the ball in the flat with one extra yard of separation between he and the linebacker whereas if i hesitate or if i'm a little slow i get it to him but now the linebackers one yard closer and it's that much easier for him to make the tackle you, you just a little processing here and there where it's a little tighter, a little quicker, and guys are getting the football from Will with just a tad bit of extra space between them and the fender, where they can do what they were recruited to do, and that is run with the ball. Make those extra yards and break tackles. Then it'll start to take off. And, you know, if it happens in the first game, it'll be apparent. It'll have to happen by the second game because you got a really good football team coming in there, but you can't look past La Tech either. All right. Well, those are my thoughts for Episode 6 of the Better Than Average podcast presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Check them out online at MSLandBank.com. And uh, also thanks to Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance. The Farm Bureau Insurance agents all over the state of Mississippi, all the 82 counties, they support me. They support this podcast. They support sports, local sports, high school sports, college teams, and therefore they support you. Give them a chance. Check them out at fadebrakes.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one.